Podcast 52, Toby Hemingway on Science. Sponsored by my buddies at PantryParatus.com. They sell food preservation tools. Produce, prepare, preserve your own harvest. All right, so I'm here with Toby Hemingway, author of Gaia's Garden, you know, go buy the book. Uh, and uh, and we were just sitting here talking a little bit about fact, proof, science, and how science rules and you drool. Um, wasn't it was kind of like that anyway? But but basically, Toby used to work. In a laboratory. In fact, you became kind of a managerial kind of guy, um, a mastermind for a scientific organization. Right. I used to work for well, what was a fun little cancer R&D country if, company, um, if cancer can be called fun. But doing research for it was really uh, a great a great job. And then we discovered something useful, and a little R&D company blew up into a you know, billion-dollar-a-year drug company. Uh, and just watching that process of the movement from a company that was really run by very dedicated scientists who um, they were good scientists and they're, you know, most people who go into science, they, they really want to understand how things work and they want to get at facts and they want to ask really good questions and get answers to those questions that they can believe in. So in a sense, the, the truth, meaning just facts, believable facts, are really important to scientists. And what I saw happening in this company as it evolved into a drug company was the the entry of the business side. And, you know, I kind of hate to be one of those people who polarizes, you know, the, the, oh, those horrible business people. But that, that really happened was the business staff moved in and they started looking at the scientific data. And one of their first reactions was, okay, how do we downplay these stories? of side effects. How do we, um, let's not publish those results. Those results might be anomalous. Uh, You know, yeah, people are getting sick from this or the animals are dying in the early clinical trials where they're administering these drugs to animals or they're finding it's toxic to the liver. So I want to just squeeze in a quick thing, and that is you were saying, you know, the thing about polarizing business people. And I just want to say that, you know, there there are some really sinister and evil business people out there. And at the same time, there are far more business people that are awesome and good. Right. Exactly. So it's not necessarily – so basically what happened is, is that, you know, and what happens in a lot of places is, is that being evil pays. And, and these guys were like, you know – I don't mind if a few people die or whatever, if if I can make some extra money. And there are people like that out there. And so I'm not saying that this is your guys that you're talking about now, but I am saying that uh, I, I just want to make sure that rather than saying it's business people and they came and they did business and so things went yucky, but instead to say yucky people came up and did business. Right. Yeah. Or, or just, and I, I also think that simply the profit motive, it's, it's, you know, when, when you begin thinking in terms of, okay, how can we maximize sales? And then you think about, well, what's going to be a drag on sales? And one of the things that's going to be a drag on sales is reports that your drugs have side effects. So it's, it's just, it's in the interest of people to minimize the stories um, that there might be problems with this drug or to say, you know, that they're not serious problems or that we 
can find ways around those side effects. But I, I really saw the evolution of a pharmaceutical company from the inside and watched particularly the conflicts with the scientific staff who were saying, you know, no, we, we know these have side effects. We know that there are problems with some of these compounds that, that they do make animals. At that point, it was in animal trials. They make animals sick, and we you know, were concerned about this. So it it makes me look at the entire pharmaceutical industry. Um, I have a, uh, well, someone I know quite well who was a senior executive at a very large pharmaceutical company, and he helped develop what is now a many billion dollar a year drug uh, that that's, it's, it's known to have some side effects. It's a very popular drug. I'm not going to men- mention its name, but it's one of the big ones. And when he was diagnosed with the condition that this drug treats, he refused to take it because he understood the side effects of this drug very well. And although he had been the, he ran the project for this company, um, he'd been the principal, you know, the, the organizer of the project for the drug, he was not willing to take this drug because he knew the side effects were so deadly. It really trashes your liver. And he wasn't willing to do that. So, I mean, this is, this is pervasive in the pharmaceutical industry is people who know the problems with these drugs, but they want to get them to market because they represent a huge amount of money. So the, you know, when, you, when you read of potential side effects of drugs, you know that they are minimizing the, uh, the, the side effects, that if you read of a side effect of a drug, you can bet that the side effect is probably 10 times worse than, than the data that they're releasing are. And I would say that's universal, but I'd just be really, really skeptical of, I mean, I am, of the entire pharmaceutical industry because I know that it's very easy to bury side effect data. It's very easy to bury negative data. It's a private company that can hide their data any way they want, um, even though it's under FDA supervision. The FDA is not there in the laboratory watching the experiments. They're over there in Washington, D.C., getting buried under paperwork that's being shipped to them by the pharmaceutical company. So if you don't want to report a negative data result, you don't have to. And and a lot of people don't want to because they don't want their drug to suffer. I think the important thing about how this relates to permaculture is that we're kind of blazing a trail in a lot of new stuff. And then as we're trying to blaze trail and we're trying to innovate and create some new things and create a better path. And um, we have people that are within the permaculture world and outside of the permaculture world who seem to present information that may not help or it may be misleading. And a lot of times that information is being presented as absolute fact. Scientists have proven this always works. <laughs> yeah, always works, and that never works. And and uh, the fact, 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 and proof, and scientists, and science, and proof, and fact, and and uh, maybe you have some comments on that space. Yeah, I think it's really important in in what we're doing in permaculture. A lot of what we're up to are things that either haven't been tried before, or we don't know how they work, even though maybe other people know how they work. Uh, and so there's a lot of experimentation in in what we're doing. And I think it's it's very important to be I mean, 
we get infatuated with permaculture when we first come to it. It seems like it's the solution, it's the cure, it's the answer to everything, it's going to fix everything. Um, and I think Mollison is just as guilty of that as anybody. Of this, this is great. It's always going to work. It's it's going to be the perfect solution. Uh, and so I, I think it's it's really important for us to kind of be honest with that. Of of when we do find that something's not working the way we thought it was, um, you know, that maybe that rocket stove doesn't heat your building quite as well as you thought it would, or the mulch really does attract a lot of slugs who nail a lot of your plants or that sort of thing. It's it's really important to one let other people know that that's the case, and two be willing to forgive yourself because there's there's rarely a 100% perfect solution to anything. It's okay if it only works some of the time. It's still it's still probably a good solution, but let's try and be accurate you know, with with what we come up with rather than this is totally bomb-proof and totally wonderful and it never fails and it's it's always the answer. Well, I think that, you know we mix into that observe and you know I, I believe I believe it's a, a an endless cycle of observe and innovate, and that um, we 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 can turn to other resources. You know, so I I like to think the forums at permies dot com is where it's it's an incubator for the innovation steps and a collection of observations, and and that's it, this is a place where we can help to accelerate moving forward. Is, is my thinking. But then we get we get people, and I've been working hard at banning these people. We get people. Who, who, who come in and they say, no, you can't say that. No, you can't do that because there was a white paper that was done and published in a peer-reviewed journal that said that uh, you got to use the chemical fertilizers. It's the only way. Or, or it says that uh, everything you just said is bullshit, and so you can't do that. And it's kind of like uh, uh, I think that that you know we need to we need to embrace critical thought. And and when we hear of any scientific proof, and I'm asking this of a scientist, whenever we hear of scientific proof to um, not embrace it 100%, but to keep in our hearts a wee bit of skepticism about that, maybe it is true, and maybe it's not. And it, it very much depends on how you ask the question. You can ask questions that will only give you results that you're interested in getting, uh, and it's what, what we try to do is back up a step and try and ask, okay, really, what's the right question to be asking here? What, what is it that we're trying to do? But, but I, I think Paul's comment about just that we are observing and assessing and then reevaluating and then modifying what we're doing based on that is, is a really important one, that, that things are going, it's a very complex set of systems that we're working with. Living systems are really complex, and, and you can expect that you're not going to get a hundred percent certain answer at the end of each little experiment you do. Each one will guide you a little bit better towards knowing how to do it a little bit better next time. There was just a very interesting conversation on a listserv about the the problems that people were finding with deep mulches, that when in certain climates, with when you put down deep mulches, you get a huge burst of pill bugs and earwigs. These are early successionary, large, chunky decomposers that 
come in who want to break down rough mulch, and they very often will go after your plants as well. So people were finding that deep, deep and fairly rough mulches of straw and wood chips and things would attract huge populations of pill bugs and earwigs that would then nail their plants. So what do you show? So should we not mulch? Was the first the first recommendation was you know, I've so I've stopped mulching, and it gradually evolved to you know if you don't mulch in the early season uh, when it's usually a little cooler anyway and you don't really need the water saving qualities of mulch at that point and then your plants get robust enough to survive the earwigs and the sow bugs then you can do your deep mulch after that and it's not a problem or you start with more refined mulches you use uh, a more composted mulch that the earwigs and the sow bugs are not going to be present for uh, but we started with sheep mulching is great and deep mulches work all the time and they're fantastic things to do and that was our you know certainly my initial thinking I love mulching and I'm going to mulch everything really deep and then you find years later well yeah I do lose a lot of stuff to sow bugs but I love mulching and you know you just it took me a while to say you know I'm losing a lot of stuff to sow bugs and a lot of stuff to earwigs and maybe maybe mulching all the time isn't 100% of the answer so we we observe and then we're honest as much as I love mulching I'm willing to admit that maybe it's not always the thing to do so and there's room for optimization just you know just because uh, one little problem shows up doesn't mean that you got to shut the whole thing down throw the baby out with the bathwater and so um, when you mulch a little bit later then the soil has more of a chance to warm up first and then you're going to hold in that heat through the rest of the summer as well as into the fall and the following winter um, and then usually when you have a plethora of um, your your insects that you don't particularly care for in time their predators will show up and and start checking their populations. So, I mean, it's a, it's a rich, complex thing, and um, uh, you know, and eventually your permaculture system will get to be rich enough where you're no longer adding mulches at all. You're just, you know, sitting in your hammock and harvesting only um, in the long run. Right. I mean, we're we're using deep mulches to build the soil in the first place, and ideally, you'd only have to do that for a couple of years or so, or maybe once every 10 years or something, that you know, nature is not doing really deep mulches much of the time. It's putting on a little duff layer, and that would be ideally what we'd be up to, is is getting our soil pretty mature so there really aren't that many earwigs and sow bugs compared to the rest of the, the population. And then we put on a little sprinkling of mulch just to protect the soil from the sun and just to keep renewing the organic matter. But if you're you know, a, a deep mulch is kind of a rescue operation because usually our soils are so impoverished. So we put down a giant mulch to really jumpstart the whole decomposer process that's, that's missing for most soils. And earwigs and sow bugs are great decomposers. They just happen to like some of your young plants as well. So we accept that and, and plant more of the young plants or don't mulch everywhere or whatever. We look for a solution rather than go, see, mulching doesn't work. You know, we, we so often go to these extremes of mulching is fantastic. No, mulching doesn't work. And the truth you know, lies somewhere in between, and it's going to be different for every circumstance. 
So um, for for those of you that listen to my podcast regularly, then then you know that um, I'll I'll uh, have these little debates with Helen Atow, and um, and then those are the debates that we've agreed to have that are recorded. <laughs> and um, and while those debates might seem rich, uh, it's nothing compared to the ones that are offline. And, um, and, and usually we will start off at two opposite ends on a topic, and then after um, giving Google a workout, we will come to find out that we were actually both right on something where it seems like there's only one way or the other. There, there's no way that there could be a both right. That it would be impossible. Each is mutually exclusive of the other. And then with enough time, we would find out that we're actually both right. It's just that, of course, nature is very complicated. A lot of, a lot of sophistication there. And that um, what would turn out that we're both right and that we just did not yet fully understand the full situation. And even after all that Googling, we probably are still only scratching the surface. Right. And that's one of the things I love in, in these complex systems is that there can be an enormous number of right answers to any question. It just kind of depends on what well, it depends in permaculture all the time but on, on what your perspective is, on what your goals are, on what your materials are, on what your backgrounds are, what your situation is. And so it's, it's to me, it's wonderful and reassuring that there isn't just one right answer, that, that it's okay that people come up with different answers to the same solutions, to the same problems. It's just that we try and observe which answers are working well for us and to really try and be aware of the consequences of, of what we're doing. You know, the, the main thing is, is your particular solution optimal? Are there negative consequences from it? Um, maybe do you want to shift to one of the other possible solutions, which is, is a very nice thing. If this solution seemed good at one time and then you realize, no, there's a different solution that's actually going to work better. You know, instead of deep mulching, it's, you know, composting. Or, you know, or instead of deep mulching, it's cover cropping that, that's going to work better under these circumstances. It's, it's not like you're a failure because you, you've changed your method. You found this doesn't work as well. The, the situation evolved. We're in, we're in a successionary landscape. And as our gardens mature, just, just like any system, we'll change the techniques and the strategies that we use to do things. And that's, that's okay. You know, it, it's like finding that you put a plant in the wrong place, and instead of beating yourself up about it, just, oh, well, now I know where not to put that plant. They're evolving systems, and that's something I really love about it, is they're very forgiving. And, and when one answer was right at one point, it's just fine that a different answer is right at a different point. All right. Anybody else here have anything to say on this topic? Got a podcast. Got a recorder. Nothing? Anybody? Toby, no? you rock. Toby, Toby, Toby is made of rock. Is that right? No. Yes. Yeah, so. <laughs> Rocks in my head. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I think that uh, uh, when it comes to um, fact and stuff, I think there's a lot to be said for a lot of the scientific stuff that's been done. I mean, there's there's more research done on agriculture than any other topic. At the same time, um, I think that farming is constant innovation. They, you are, I mean, nearly every farm I've ever been on, every farm I've visited, it's like they are constantly coming up with better ways to do things because you're kind of scraping by and you did little tiny things that you do could make a big difference. So you're constantly trying new things to see what's going to really make a difference and help. And then when people are talking about a more urban environment, they're doing gardening, um, it's not as much of a scale. So like, you know, doing a lot of innovation might not make a lot of difference as it would on a on a larger scale. 
So maybe uh, I think gardeners might not be as addicted or, or feeling the need or experiencing the reward from constant innovation as much as farming. Uh, and so, uh, and then it's like, well, when you're innovating, um, what works for one farmer might not work for another. And um, uh, it's, it's a very complicated space. And then I, I know that when I was growing up, my family was big on uh, you know farmers that went to college, and other farmers were against it. And then they would say, I remember hearing more than one time, those college boys come out here and they think they know farming and they don't know shit. And, um, and I think that there's a lot of truth to that. There's a lot of stuff that's been researched and proven to be true. And um, then they come out and they say, you have to do this. And it turns out that they are wrong. Sepp Holzer's um, a big part of, of his uh, first book that was in English was all about going to college and where he learned that everything that he had been doing with agriculture was wrong. So then he started practicing the new things that he was learning, and then all of his stuff died. And then he decided that the stuff that he was taught was being taught by fools and idiots who had no idea what the fuck they were doing, and that he was actually on to the truth before he ever went to college. So he returned to his old ways, and now we are all benefiting from the reward. So... Um, I, I, I've, I banned a whole bunch of people from permies.com because I, I kind of feel like I'm trying to nurture the gentle souls who are trying to help other gentle souls. And every once in a while we get an asshole that shows up that wants to tell the gentle souls, you have to do things my way. And it turns out that I'm a bigger asshole than those people. And then uh, we have a little assholeectomy, and then I try to not punch up the, the gentle souls too much and stay out of the way. And I think we have a, a lot of beautiful growth, a lot of excellent information happening in our permies. Anybody else have anything else to add? I like the whole theory of, uh, of planning for surplus because, um, you know, I've been really loving the weeds growing up in my garden. Uh, I've been loving not pulling them but cutting them down, the right tool to cut them down because I think so much people are trying to figure out using the sciences and the facts about, well, this is what's going on. But what, would I, but what I'd rather see is this is how we can enhance what can happen. And I like that part about permaculture. So, so I think it's really about thriving and it's about creating more biomass. And, you know, I've been loving my bindweed and I've been loving my quackgrass because it's producing something that's there naturally instead of being sort of like the organic farmer that I was where I'm taking everything out and only putting what I'm trying to get there to grow which kind of doesn't do as well as the things that just want to come up naturally and if they can sort of coexist and I keep just cutting them down for, you know, the biomass. I, I mean, I just kind of had my own personal revolution on that and I like to create surplus. Let's remember at one point in time, it was utter fact that the world was flat. Fact, 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 proof. And if you tried to suggest anything to the contrary, off with your head because you're a dumb fuck and we don't need you reproducing. And uh, so things have changed a lot. And so I, I think it's like we need to keep a little bit of skepticism and let's keep innovating. If you like this sort of thing, come on out to the forums at permeas.com where a large man in overalls might hit you. <laughs> and we talk about homesteading and permaculture too. 